This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor and fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Surge, your 3D Cool Ranch Doritos, and your kitten surprise, and let's get into the episode. This episode contains discussion of intellectual and developmental disabilities. Listener discretion is advised. On Friday, February 24th, 1978, five young men left their homes to head to a basketball game at Chico State in Chico, California. This was the boys' favorite team, and they had a basketball tournament that they were playing in themselves the next day. They were known as the Gateway Gators and were competing in the Special Olympics. The game ended, and the boys' favorite team won. They left the school and stopped by a nearby service station to grab snacks before the hour drive home together. Unfortunately, the young men never made it home. Months later, remains were found in the mountains of the Plumas National Forest. The young men, rather than continue south down the interstate in a straight shot to their hometown, had veered east and continued in the wrong direction for quite some distance. Their car was found abandoned. Four of the young men were found dead. People assumed that because four of the young men were described as mentally disabled, they just gotten lost, but their families knew better. They still, to this day, believe that the young men were victims of foul play. With one man missing, there are still no answers to this case, only theories and rumors. What happened to the Yuba County Five? Hey, you guys, welcome to Killer Queens. If you've never been here before, we want to give you just a little information about how the show is set up and what it's meant to accomplish. If you have been here before, welcome back. You can just use that handy skip ahead feature here if you want to. We want to give a message to friends and family of the victims. We know that there may be someone involved in the case who might listen one day, and we want you to know that our intention is to only bring awareness to this case. And while we do use personal stories in some instances and our own humor in order to tell the story in a way that listeners can relate, we have the utmost respect for victims and their families. We created Killer Queens to be a place where we can have open discussions about cases just like you would with friends. We are not investigators. We use information that is available to the public, such as documentaries, case files, and media coverage. Using this information, we intend to tell the story of what happened in each case that we cover. Now, will you agree with our interpretations or conclusions of each case? Well, heck no. Mm -mm. We each approach cases from different perspectives, life experiences, and beliefs that we already have in place. And sometimes these differences are slight, yet they can be wide enough to cause divide and upset some of those listening. We do our best to present the facts as we find them in our research, but we do bring our own perspectives to the case. We understand that you will too. 
We want you to know that this is a safe space to discuss differences in opinions in a civilized manner. Our style may not be your personal preference, and if that's the case, we know you'll be able to find one of the many other shows out there to tell the story the way you want to hear it. We can be grown-ups about it if you can. Now, if we are your cup of tea and you want even more KQ, you can join our Patreon and get access to our entire catalog of episodes ad-free and access to bonus episodes too. And I'll give you just a little hint if you're an ad skipper, um, but you still want the deals that we have from our sponsors each week, you can scroll down to the show notes and see what coupons we have available for you right down there. But you didn't hear it from us. Mm-mm, mm-mm, that's a pro tip, but I, I'll deny ever sharing it. Right. So all that being said, let's get into the story. Okay, you guys. Um, if you've been here before, you know that Tori is having a hard time with this case because not only is there no closure, there's like ex-closure. It's like... I'm closureless. It's the, as far away from closure as you can get. It's kind of like the Dyatlov Pass case in the sense that it's just totally bizarre. And like, what happened? Yeah. And actually, I watched quite a bit of YouTube coverage on this case. And one guy in particular definitely considered it like America's Dyatlov Pass. Yep. Yeah, I saw that too. I didn't watch it, but I saw that. Yeah, you can read, you can go down Reddit rabbit holes. You can go down, I mean, there's a lot of articles on this case. There's a lot of news coverage. There's a lot of stuff. And we're literally 40 years on and have no answers. Like, right. It also hurts my feelings that 1978 was 40, almost 40 years ago, but we're over 40 years. Over 40 years ago. It's almost 50 years ago. That's hurtful. Yeah. Because I'm, my mind is still in the 90s, so the 70s was 20 years ago. Right. You were having trouble even with the simple math um, because you still think that. Yeah. My brain is blocking that out. It's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we are going to talk about the Yuba County Five today. Um, Theodore, who went by Ted Weir, was 32 years old at the time of his disappearance. His family described him as having, quote, a mind like a child. And they even referred to him as Teddy Bear because he was so sweet and innocent. He lived at home with his parents. And all of these men lived at home with their parents. Um, And they all were pretty much all going to. Like, that's just the way that things were. Um, But he lived at home with his parents. He was known as a happy-go-lucky young man. He could talk to anybody. He hated the thought that someone might be mad at him, even if it was a stranger. And Ted was one of those guys who just wanted to make friends and have people like him. He was super friendly and he just loved being loved. One of Ted's brothers described him as, quote, lacking common sense. I would describe you the same way. Me? Yeah. Uh, I would describe you that way because I, before I could even drive, had to teach you how to get gas and tell you that you don't have to pay extra tax because it's included. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, in a book written about the men's disappearances, several examples were given after the author interviewed Ted's family that spoke to Ted's difficulty thinking things through completely. He said that one time the family's house caught on fire and Ted refused to leave his bed. And Ted argued that he needed to get up early the next day for work. So he's not understanding the danger of staying in his bed, right? In his mind, he's like, I have to get up early for work. I'm being responsible. I'm not going to get out of this bed. Um, And so his brother ended up just carrying him out. 
And there was also a time that Ted spent $100 at a store on pencils for no reason. Our cousin spent like $200 on karma beads in the early 2000s. So yes, she had gotten all that money for her birthday and Christmas and she just went crazy on karma beads. <laughs> she went fucking ham on just karma beads. Karma and we beads. were like, you I have mean, they to were wear like the up, <laughs> yeah. up her arms. <laughs> you know, who who can, the heart wants what it wants, I guess. Absolutely. I'm trying to say. Uh, He graduated from Marysville High School in Marysville, California, and set the school's record for throwing a softball the greatest distance. These were very, very athletic men. All of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, His mother said that Ted was a, quote, very loving person. He loved life and he loved people. William, who went by Bill Sterling, was 29 years old at the time of his disappearance. And similarly to his friend Ted, Bill was also described as having a childlike mind. And the reason for this is because all of these men, except for maybe one, had intellectual or developmental disabilities. Now, in the 70s, that's not what they called them. So when you're hearing his family, their families describe them, they're using terms that are available to them. Um, And... They, of course, are going to use more loving terminology, um, the media, not so much. So, and we are not going to use any of the terms that they would have used in the 70s. Like, we're just simply not going to do it. Um, But at the time, I'm not, I'm certainly not saying any of it was right. But at the time, we didn't have as much knowledge as we do now about how these things work. Um, But again, we're going to, we're going to not use the terms that they used. Uh, One of Ted's favorite things to do was call Bill on the phone and read him funny sounding names that he'd found in the newspaper. I love that. It is so precious. I know. I know. I know. It's actually a really cute, like I could get down with that, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a like boyfriend in the seventh grade and he lived kind of far away, like 30 minutes, but we couldn't drive, you know? And, um, we would talk late at night, maybe eighth grade at this point. Cause I had, we each had our own phone line at that point for a little while and we would talk forever. And he, we, he would just read me the encyclopedia and we would just like <laughs> giggle about it. It's so stupid. Um, but Bill loved to read. He was often found at the library. He had two sisters that were identical twins, Deanna and Debbie. And Bill attended the Marysville community church every Sunday and considered faith to be one of his top priorities in life. He would even visit residents of psychiatric hospitals and he would read aloud to them from the Bible. Such a sweetheart. Precious angel. Bill worked at the Sunsweet Growers as a dishwasher and um, he worked there with his friend Jack, but his job there didn't last too long. So Sunsweet got new dishwashing equipment and Bill kind of struggled learning it and operating it. So he got another job as a dishwasher at the nearby Air Force Base, but his mom forced him to quit. Because this makes me so angry. She found out that the men who went to the bar would get Bill drunk and they would steal his money from him. I don't think that. And again, it's never an excuse to be like, well, they were different times like that doesn't matter in any situation. But this is not something that anyone can blame on the times. No. This is just cruel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, stealing from somebody doesn't change with the... T- like, that's always been wrong. 
uh, taking advantage of people always been wrong. Like, yes. yeah, the, the, uh, there is a special place in wherever you feel like bad people go, hell, Michigan, all the same for these kind of people. Well, yeah. And like, I, I just don't understand it because Bill, along with all of these other men or most of these other men were the absolute sweetest, precious angels ever. Mm-hmm. And you're going to, you're going to pick somebody who is so sweet and loving and do this to them. Like, yeah. no matter what the circum, that that is so awful. I just, yeah. it really, yeah. really shrunk my hat to hear that. We had a situation like this in high school and there was a kid who often got picked on. Um, I almost want to say the guy's name on this. I just want to fucking full name him because he's such a fucking asshole. And he's, I'm sure he still is to this day. I can't imagine he's not a dick. Um, but he was like hardcore picking on this kid and they were throwing garbage at him and they were just like, and they were laughing and I was sitting at the same table, but a little bit further down. And so he walked by me and he's like, come on, Drella, come on, like join in basically. And I was like, <gasps> and I got up and I, I don't, I didn't, I know I didn't physically hit him cause I would have gotten in trouble, but I yelled at him and like, I invited that kid to come sit with us to eat lunch. And he did a few times. He didn't all the time, but he would come sit with us when he was in there. Um, and I was just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, ooh, I hate that guy. Does this make you feel better? Exactly. Why, like, that just speaks to your insecurity that you have to make somebody else feel smaller to make yourself feel bigger. Like, yeah, whatever. But this was something that was very common. I mean, people with intellectual disabilities are, what, four or five more times, times more likely to be victims of crime or abuse, like things like that, um, they're often targeted because of these things. But in the 70s, I mean, I'm sure it still happens today, but in the 70s, they weren't, it was dangerous. Like, it wasn't just people doing stuff like this, which this is bad enough. But people were um, violent towards those with intellectual disabilities for a host of reasons. But they, you know, people were quoted as saying, like, I don't want them to steal our jobs or like people just did not want people with intellectual disabilities to succeed. And they took violent measures because of it. I just that's something I will never, ever, ever be able to understand. And I believe wholeheartedly because there are some things where you're like, well, you can't know what you would have done back then, right? I know that I would not have done that. A hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. I know that I would not have been down with something like that. No. Even if it was considered normal. Because I mean, honestly, like the some of the terminology that was big in the 70s around this topic, people were still saying that like big time in the 90s. I know that for sure. I had friends yeah. who would use the R word all the time and I never would say it. Like, I was just like, I'm not going to say that. It doesn't feel right. It feels derogatory. And that's why you're saying it that way. So like, well, I mean, why, why would somebody say that, especially as a teenager? I mean, and there are a slew of terms that teenagers, even into the early 2000s, have used as an insult. Why is it an insult? Right. 
Why are you, why are you using it to insult someone? Because it's a bad thing. You know, it's a bad word. Yeah. 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 You're giving it a negative connotation. Yes. Yeah. When uh, newsflash, people are people. Nobody's better than anybody else. I just don't understand it. Yeah. I do not understand it. And I'm glad that we are at a place where we are recognizing that. Hopefully everybody is getting on board with this. But I know we have so much further to go with all of this. But it's just this case breaks my heart. Yeah. As do a mil- all of them honestly break my heart. But I just it just makes me so sad. I I, I personally just cannot sit here and, and hear about somebody being attacked, assaulted, um, violated, whatever. Abused, yeah, all these things. Yes. Because of, because of what? Like, oh, it just makes me so mad. It makes me so mad. Yeah, it's, it's just awful. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. So he ends up quitting that job once his mom found out what was going on. Um, So Bill considered Ted to be one of his close friends and had known him for about eight years but his very best friend was Jack Madruga. So Jack was 30 years old. He was an army veteran. He had served in Vietnam in 1968 and at this time was living with his mother, Melba Gail Madruga, in Linda, California. A lot of names. Linda, 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 Linda. Look it, look it. (laughs) I love that. Oh, I love that video. I thought about that this morning before we even... Before the seat, I was like, I don't know why, but I was like, Linda, look it. Oh, look that's it. funny. I thought of it because of Linda. Like, I was like, Linda, Linda, Linda. Um, <laughs> so one of his favorite sayings was, What's up, Doc? Um, which earned him the nickname of Doc from friends and family. Jack loved playing sports. He loved board games. He watched game shows often. His favorite genre of TV shows were comedies. And his favorite show was I Love Lucy. Jack was a big fan of Motown music. He loved Diana Ross and the Supremes, and he loved dancing. Yes. Jack had not been diagnosed with anything. Um, His mother said that her son was generally thought of as, quote, slow. Um, That was her word. However, he was able to successfully manage his own finances. 
His nephew described Jack as, quote, an intelligent and sensitive man, just extremely shy in social situations. All right. Another thing that kind of set, I don't want to say set Jack apart, but a, a slight difference was Jack had a driver's license. Only two of the men had driver's licenses. And Jack had a 1969 Mercury Montego. It was bigger than your mom's Jack Russell, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yes. It was bigger yes. than your mom's Great Dane as far as cars go. It was, I think it was pretty close to your bit, your mama's uh, hippopotamus. Okay. That's yeah. about the size that was, we're looking at here. I mean, you know, cars at that time were like scooper duper big, but this was like a giant car. Um, but he loved that thing. He wouldn't let anybody else drive it. He was the only one that was allowed to drive it. He took immaculate care of this car. He was like always, you know, it was very clean. It was his baby. He, it was his most prized possession. He was very proud of this car, which is going to come in to play in the story. Um, and since he was one of the few of their friend group that had a driver's license, he loved being able to like chauffeur his friends around, you know, he's like, I'll drive, I'll drive, I'll drive. That's fine. Um, he loved it. Next was Jack, um, who went by Jackie Hewitt. He was 24 years old at the time of his disappearance. He reportedly had the most significant, uh, mental deficits of the group, but he was not diagnosed with anything specifically. And like, again, diagnoses were different then and all these things. So, you know, we don't know what what that would have been, you know, today if they'd been able to be examined. But, you know, at that time, this is all we know. Um, he lived on a farm and uh, with his family, and he was the youngest of the group, and he looked up to Ted. They'd known each other for almost eight years. Ted was a big brother to Jackie. He even made phone calls for him because it made him really anxious. Jackie had a Honda motorcycle. He loved riding it around the farm and playing with his dog, which was a beagle named Bo. Jackie was unable to read or write. He was very shy around people he didn't know, and he had a little bit of a speech impediment. Jackie seemed to always have a smile on his face. He loved playing basketball with his group of friends. And his mother described him as, quote, a delight. He was just slow, but real happy. And again, this is his mother's direct quote. Gary Mathias is 25 years old at the time of his disappearance. He had very poor eyesight, um, which was a result of jumping out of a moving car as a child. Gary was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and often had violent outbursts. He served in the army in 1973, but he ended up being honorably discharged due to the schizophrenia. Now, at this time... He's under a doctor's care. He is taking medications and he was considered to be managing it really well. Unlike his group of friends, Gary was never suspected of having or was diagnosed with a mental disability. He was much more independent than his friends. He had a job in landscaping. He played in a rock band. When he disappeared, he was still dating his high school girlfriend. Gary graduated from Marysville High School in 1971 and he played on the school's football team. Again, because of the time period, you, if you go look up an article or anything in this, anything like that, you're going to see some words that are not okay to use today. Um, it's believed now that Ted, Bill, and Jackie would likely have been found today as maybe being on the autism spectrum, while Jack probably wouldn't have been diagnosed with anything at all. 
The five young men all came together at Gateway Projects in Yuba City, California in June of 1977. Um, Gateway Projects was a facility that assisted with those in the community that were uh, had mental or developmental disabilities, anything like that, um, or mental health issues as well. They provided counseling and assistance with finding jobs or living quarters. Gary, after dealing with legal issues and substance abuse, was attending drug counseling at Gateway Projects. And Gary's counselor told him that he needed some help with a group of guys at the facility who wanted to play basketball on the Special Olympics team. Um, He said, you know, these are good guys. They just needed some leadership. And Gary had played basketball before. And he was like, sure, I'll help. And Gary already knew one of the guys, Ted. Seemed like everybody kind of already separately knew Ted. Um, But he lived right down the street from Ted. So this is the team now of five, and they were known as the Gateway Gators. I feel like, because this is the way that I put, especially if it's five of someone, I put them in terms of like who would they would be in a boy band. Yeah. Ted would be the big brother type. Chris Kirkpatrick. The older brother. Yes. Like, because that's what almost everybody looked up to him and kind of went to, and I know, I know this from, you know, two instances where Bill and um, Jackie really looked up to Ted in that way. Um, I don't know about the other two, but they, everybody just seemed to feel really comfortable with Ted kind of help. And Ted took that role on, it seems like. Yeah, so for sure. It's just really sweet. It is. It's so sweet. Yeah, they were super, and just how much they love basketball, I think was just really adorable too. Yes, yes. Absolutely. So on Friday, February 24th, 1978, the group of guys were excited for the night that they had planned. They were going to make the hour drive to Chico State to watch their favorite basketball team play. They were the UC Davis Aggies. All five boys were preparing for their team, the Gateway Gators, to play their own game, which would have been 930 the next morning um, in a tournament for the Special Olympics. At 6.30 p.m. on Friday, Jack was driving his Montego, and he picked up each of his four friends from their homes. They stopped at a local service station where Bill's father worked so he could get his allowance, and the group of guys made it to the game at Chico State. Several witnesses reported having seen the group at the game and Jack's car leaving the parking lot just after 10 p.m. The Aggies won the game, so the boys were ecstatic. They were super, super excited. And before leaving town um, in Chico, they stopped at Bear's Market to get some snacks. And the clerk that was working that night said that they he was kind of annoyed or they were kind of annoyed that um, they had a group of guys this big had come in just before closing time because they couldn't cl- start the closing process when they maybe wanted to. They probably like already had everything like counted and they were like, as soon as that time rolls on, I just hit the button or like whatever, like yes. done. I mean, and if if you worked in like service industry at all, I've I've dealt with that before and I'm like, oh man, you know, but you're you're open. Start so over. You can't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the boys purchased one hostess cherry pie, one lemon pie, one Snickers, one marathon bar, two Pepsis, and a quart and a half of milk, and then they left. The next morning, Saturday, February 25th, Ted's mother woke up around 5 a.m. She went to her son's bed and she was absolutely shocked to find it empty. She quickly called Bill's mother, who said that she'd been awake since 2 a.m. and that Bill hadn't come home either. Bill's mother had already called Jack's mother, and Jack hadn't returned yet. Ted's mother called Jackie's mother, and they walked to Gary's house. And both parents said that they hadn't heard from their sons. None of the group of boys had returned home, which was incredibly out of character for them. While Gary occasionally did stay out late with friends, and sometimes even all night, 
The other four boys did not do this. They absolutely thrived, thrived on their routines. And none of the boys would have risked missing their tournament, the basketball game that Saturday morning. Gary had even specifically instructed his mom to not let him oversleep since they had the big game. And they, like, I read, too, that Gary's mom was like, he had actually sort of driven her crazy about that leading up to this. Like, he reminded her over and over and over, don't let me oversleep. I've got this, I've got this basketball game. I have to make sure I'm up and out on time for this basketball game. And she was like, okay, like, I got it. And he was like, (laughs) don't forget, (laughs) like, Yes. I mean, so that like, that's how they never would have missed this game. No. And and in addition to that, Jackie had never spent the night away from home and he probably would not have done it by choice. But if he had, it would have taken on his part, I'm sure a lot of planning and preparation. Like he wouldn't have just been like, oh, let's just because that's not that's just not who he was. He wouldn't have been like, oh, that's fine. I'll just stay out at somebody else's house. It's, It's just not what would have happened. Yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So Jack's mom called the Yuba County Sheriff's Department to report her son and the other boys missing, and that was around 8 a.m. But the call taker told her that she'd have to wait 24 hours before filing the report. Tale as old as time. It's really Tale frustrating. Old as time. Yep. So she she did what she was told and called back at 8 p.m. on Saturday night and officially reported the boys missing. And there are varying reports as to when exactly the search started. But once the boys remained missing throughout the rest of the weekend, everyone was obviously super concerned. Families of the young men said that officers didn't really seem concerned initially. They said that they'd check the jails as this seemed to be like the possible place that five men could end up after a night out. But when the families informed them that the men had developmental delays, things changed. So on Saturday, one family member went down to one of the local department stores where the basketball teams were set to meet before taking a bus to their game. And the other teams were there, but none of the missing five were there. The bus with the other players left for the tournament. Other family members drove around the area looking for Jack's car. They took photos of the five to Chico State, where they had attended that basketball game on Friday night. They showed the photos to security guards and ticket takers, um, but nobody recognized them, unfortunately. The family started contacting television stations and newspapers, doing anything they could to get their boys' photos out to the public. And this is where, um, so like by Monday, the first news article came out referring to the five boys as a word that we're not going to use, but it begins with an R. Um, And this is just the first of many media reports describing them this way. And the family said that 
there were a lot of people who seemed to not care that these boys were missing because of that. And they had heard, you know, oh, well, they're just, you know, so who cares? What is wrong with people? I, and, and of course that is a terrible, awful, and heinous way to look at somebody else. And unfortunately, even more recently, I'm sh- I, I hope to God it does not happen now. I can't say for a fact that it doesn't because we as a society have some a lot of growing to do, but it happens in other areas as well, like different um, ways of living and lifestyles affect that as well, like mm-hmm. sex workers. Yeah. Different yeah. members of community, the community. Like, it's just, it's so race. I mean, it, it happens a lot. And it, that is, it, it wasn't okay then. It will never be okay. It never, ever. Mm-hmm. And I just, it just, how do we fix it? Like, we can't be like this. Yeah. I just don't understand I, it. I just don't understand looking at another human being and not, not having compassion and being like, that's a human being. Like, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be a parent to know that, you know, if somebody has a missing child, that's got to be absolutely devastating. Like, you don't have to have a dog yourself to feel sorry if somebody else's dog gets run out. You know, like, the so, like, why can't we look at people as people? Like, this person is loved, and there are people who love them, who are devastated. Like, just why? I just, I don't know. It's just, it's so frustrating. Basic it's, empathy. Like, it's the least you could do. I just don't understand it. Exactly. On Tuesday, February 28th, Jack's Turquoise Monte- Montego. I you, I said Montego because that's what you said. I thought it was Montego, but I wasn't, I'm not in the business of correcting you. That's actually exactly what you're in the business of. <laughs> I know. I was, honest. I didn't know if you were going to, if, if you're going to call me on that, but um, I'm thinking like but. Montego Bay. So why did I want Monte? Why did I go Montego? Listen, I was just following suit because you were the first one to sound like a friggin' idiot. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to let her go down alone. I don't know why. Thank you. Um, yeah. Solidarity. I'm going to stick with Montego now. I don't know. All right. I don't know. I'm sure we'll get, get a message. Ready. Exactly. Get ready for the onslaught. Yes. <laughs> like all these people who like, their um, primary goal in life is for the 1969 Mercury Montego to be pronounced correctly. But here we yes. go. Um, okay, so it was found. A forest ranger reported that he'd seen the vehicle parked on a rural mountain road in the Plumas National Forest the day after the boys had attended the basketball game. He didn't think much of it that day because a lot of people would like park their cars and go hiking or skiing or something like that. Um, But after he saw news reports of the missing boys and this particular vehicle, he realized, you know, put two and two together. So he called it in. The car was buried in the snow. It was right at the snow line. The area where it had been found was about 70 miles from Chico, but still about 70 miles from home. Remember, they were only like 50 miles from home. Right. To begin with, like the drive from the basketball game in Chico to their home was essentially a straight shot. However, it seemed that they'd gone south for a short time. So that's the correct direction. They started out going south. And then they suddenly turned east and headed back up north towards the mountains. The car seemed to have initially been stuck in almost a foot of snow and had spun its tires. 
The odd thing, though, was that it didn't appear to have been stuck so badly that five young, healthy men couldn't have pushed it out. Like, if they'd gotten out and done this together, it would have popped right out, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the gas tank, the gas, the gas tank, the gas tank still had about a quarter of a tank of gas. The vehicle started easily when officers hotwired it to move it. The keys were not found, but, you know, I don't know if it's super common that, like, everybody knew how to hotwire a car then. Like, that's not so much a thing now, but... Yeah, they were able to do it. it. The assumption is, you know, that they would have had the keys and could have started it. So it's not like the car wasn't starting or something like that. But right. Um, strangely enough, though, there was very little, if any, damage noted to the undercarriage of the vehicle. So remember, Jack was very, very careful with this car. Um, whoever drove it up the mountain treated it the same way. Um, this car was very low to the ground and it would have easily been torn up if not driven carefully in the terrain that it was in. Um, one of the windows was partially down and the doors were both locked. The wrappers from the snacks and candy that they'd bought earlier at the market were strewn about the seats and the floor. Jack, that would have never flown with Jack. Mm -mm. We don't, we don't treat this like a garbage can. This is not a garbage can. Right. Well, and I 100% know that I do not treat my car the way that Jack treated his car, um, which if you saw my car, you would know that. But I do have a rule that is a standing rule, and I know that you have broken it many a time. But my rule is whatever you came in with, you leave with it. Do not leave your your crap all in my car. Do you want me to say, um, hi, pot, this is Kettle, you're black? No, I do not want you to say that. You leave junk in my car all the time. What kind of, no, we're not going to get into this. We'll talk, we'll discuss this at a later date, but I have just seen you. You will come. No, we're not going to go there. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> we'll, sh- we'll put this on a shelf for later, but we're going to have this conversation right. because I feel like you do it worse than I do. Okay. So we're going to have a fight about this at a later date. Gotcha. Yes. All yes, right. Yes. All right. Them ending up where they ended up in this car was more than just a wrong turn that had gotten the boys off their route. There were several maps in the glove box, and Bill was really, really good at reading maps. Um, He even had a collection at home, and Jack's family said that Jack knew to stop and turn around if he made a wrong turn. It didn't make any sense that he would have continued up the mountain in the dark. None of the men were familiar with this particular area, but as you're going up, and I feel like you kind of have to, like, see it, um... Because even seeing it on a map doesn't do it justice. I watched the show on Amazon. I mean, I'm sure you can watch it other places. That's where I found it. I don't remember the name of it. It's like auto slash biography. And it's like this group of people who, I don't know. I know they did this case. I don't know if they did what other kind of things that they do. I don't know if it's all true crime or what. But Mm -hmm. they actually went to this area. And you have to drive over this huge bridge And as you're going up the mountain, like they even got to a place in the road where it was no longer paved anymore and it's completely covered in snow and they kept going. So like, if you see it, you're like, this just doesn't make any sense to continue to go up. Right. Especially if you're like, especially if you're familiar with the area, but especially if you're not familiar with that area. Like if you're not familiar with it and you're driving up there in the dark, it would be really scary. You would be stressed out. You would just be like, 
I don't know what's on the other side of that. So I don't want to keep, and how, how important his car was to him and how rough that terrain was. And it could have damaged his car in any number of ways. But even, but if you, if you are familiar with that area, then you're certainly not going to go up there because you're like, this isn't going to work. Like, yeah, doesn't make any sense. No. The only thing that I thought about though, was because people kept saying, well, they were, you know, driving too long in the wrong direction to have made a wrong turn and like all that kind of stuff. I do. There was a time that I did that because I'm from this area. I grew born and raised here, which is actually how I met my husband. So it worked out. But my I was driving from Nashville back here. And it's like, what, 30 minutes down the interstate? Yeah. Okay. Well, I got on one, you know, there's a few different interstates there. There's like all these, you know, like 40 and 440 and 24 and 65 and all that stuff. So I was on 40 and I had missed the one turn I was supposed to take. And then I thought, well, that's fine because 40 at some point intersects with 24, right? So if I just keep on keeping on, it'll, I'll, I'll get to it. So I'm driving and I'm driving and I'm driving and I'm like, damn, I've kind of been driving for a long time now, but I know it's coming. I know 24 is coming. I should have turned around at like 50 different exits. I started seeing signs for Knoxville. Yeah, I, I was going to say you were damn near Knoxville. I went the wrong way for over an hour. And I do want to really, really um, emphasize that this is before, I mean, we had phones, but the best your phone could do was try to, I mean, I had a MapQuest, I guess you would call it an app. It was a generous, a generous way to say it would be, it was an app. It was not the apps that we know and love today. Um, But it took forever to load and all this stuff. You had a Garmin. Without that, I did have a Garmin, yes. So that, I mean, you had to have a whole separate device to give you directions. Mm -hmm. Like it was like a thing you had to have installed. So yeah, if you didn't print out the directions before you left, you screwed. Yeah, you'd have to stop and ask someone for directions or call someone because yeah, yeah, and literally, and and like at that time, you know, let's see, that was two thousand eight, so I would have had probably like a flip phone or something, yeah, like or I might have had my BlackBerry, Blackberry then. Maybe. I had my yeah. BlackBerry then, but like getting service places, forget about it. Like mm-hmm. you know, if you're driving, it's very difficult, but. And I would have rather chew my own arm off than stop and ask somebody for directions, obviously, because I just kept driving. I kept driving. I kept driving. Um, but I th- that came to mind because it's like people who didn't know the the men, some of them would say, well, you know, they probably just got lost because, you know, they referred to them as not as smart as other people or whatever. And all their family was like, absolutely not. You know, these are very smart men. Um, but it just reminded me of that time with me. And I just wondered like, I, but they had the maps there. That's the other thing. There's five of them in the car. One of them, Jack can be driving and one of them can look at the map and say, yes, this does intersect with where we need to go or no, it doesn't, you know, like, so I don't know. It was just one thing that popped into my mind, um, that had happened to me, but they, they had an actual map. I didn't. And even if I did, I wouldn't have known how to read it. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so they've located the missing vehicle at this point. So now investigators have at least an area to search, which is like so far off where they, you know, their route that they would have thought of. Um, Not long after the search in the forest, a blizzard moved into the area. This dropped almost a foot of snow, covered any signs, you know, any tracks that the men would have left or anything like that. Um, Searchers, some on foot, some on snowmobiles, others on horseback trek through the area, but the snow made it really dangerous and they could not find any signs of the missing five. Sometime in late February or early March, Berry Creek resident, 55-year-old Joseph Shones, came forward with a story about the missing five. And he said that he'd driven up to the area where Jack's car was found on the night of February 24th. And this was the night that the men were last seen at Chico State basketball game. Um, and he went there in order to check snow, check the snow in preparation for a skiing trip that he was planned. Shones owned a cabin in the area and was planning on taking his wife and daughter there soon. So around 5.30 p.m., Shones got his Volkswagen vehicle. I almost said Volkswagen vehicle. (laughs) Okay, Jesse, my son. I know. (laughs) Volkswagen Beetle stuck in the snow about 150 feet up the rural road. He said that as he tried to push his car out of the snow, he began to have chest pains. He got back into his running car to keep warm and wait for help. So this is when Shone's story kind of gets a little confusing. In different interviews with police, he gave different accounts of what he'd seen that night. So in one account, Shone said that around 11.30 p.m. while he was still in his vehicle and in excruciating pain, he heard whistling noises coming from outside. He says that he saw a vehicle parked about 20 feet behind him. Shones gets out of his car. He calls for help, seeing five or six men and possibly a woman with a baby. The figures were dark with just the backlight from the vehicle's headlight behind him. So he continued calling out for help, but said that the figures went, they walked back to their car and the headlights went out. In another one of his accounts, he said that he saw two sets of headlights coming up behind him. One was a vehicle and one was a pickup truck. Shone said that he got out of his car to flag the cars down, but that they stopped about 20 feet behind his car. And he said that everyone got out and left in just one of the cars. And then Shones gets back into his vehicle. He sits there till about 4 a.m. when the vehicle ran out of gas. He got out, began walking towards the vehicle he'd seen earlier, and it was about 50 yards away. Nobody's in the vehicle, but he later confirmed that that was Jack's car. Shones continued down the mountain, walking several miles until he reached a lodge and was ultimately taken to the hospital. He was found to have suffered a mild heart attack. There's a lot of discussion as to whether Shones really saw anything that night or if his stories were fabricated. Sorry, I guess we'll, I guess we'll get into, I don't know, what we think think about that that whole thing in the theories section, because 
I have some thoughts too. Yes. Um, I guess you wanted to take this opportunity to say that you want to talk about something later. Yeah, I, I actually, I called to say I can't talk right now. Okay. <laughs> just trying to keep up. I'm just, yeah. just making sure. Great. I'm glad you're uh, following. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. No, I've got some time a little bit later, so we'll, we'll talk about it. Cool. 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 In early March, after several searches, including helicopter searches, the hunt for the young men was called off due to the significant amount of snow. It was no longer safe to search the area, and the sheriff and other investigators had grown increasingly concerned that the disappearances were not voluntary. Sheriff Beecham, I, there are how many sheriffs or how common is the last name Beecham? I know. I I hear that a lot. We've heard that. I know we've heard it in at least two or three other like disappearances. Yes. Maybe that's the key. Maybe we should talk about that in the theories. What's up with the Beechams? Yeah, there's something we need to like get pictures of these Beechams and see where they're from. And I bet if we did like an idle hands where she does the circle and then the, and it's like, ah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I just, I was like, man, there's a lot of Beecham's out there. But anyway, so really Sheriff Beecham said, quote, in fact, as time goes on, it looks more and more like foul play. Though the searches had been called off until the terrain was safer, the boys' families continued to do what they could. They raised money and announced rewards for information. Tips about sightings came in, but nothing, they didn't really lead to anything. Some family members even consulted psychics, but really nothing credible came to light. Investigators searched approximately 30 stores along the route from Chico State to where Jack's car was found, but nobody had anything useful to say. So they're, I mean, basically, they've got the area to search, and they're just kind of stuck. On Sunday, June 4th, 1978, the snow had finally melted enough, which is like wild to me because it's like, June. I know, we're done with snow Lord willing, in March. I mean, my gosh, like... It's not... I wouldn't consider it to be warm. No. Because we get little bouts of, like, maybe it's going to be warm one day, and mm-hmm. then the next day it's 30 or 40 degrees again. But, I mean, we don't even get enough snow to for it to be like, well, can't do that. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. No. Just June. By then, we're boiling hot. I know. Exactly. Um, so, here, it had finally just melted enough. So a group of motorcyclists were riding through the forest area when they came across an abandoned U.S. Forest Service trailer. The trailer was surrounded by four smaller trailers, so this one was pretty big. And one of the riders noticed a really nauseating smell as soon as he removed his helmet. (sighs) He walked around looking for what he assumed was going to be a dead animal or whatever the source of the smell might be, but he didn't find anything. And then he noticed that one of the windows on the trailer was broken, so he walked over to look inside. I don't know what, like, I would have just been like, none of my business, bye. Like, I don't know. Something smells bad, bye. Like, yeah, he's checking it out. So he looks inside the window, and he sees an extremely emaciated human body laying on a bunk. It appeared that the man had frozen to death. And he said that the man was lying face up. Both uh, legs of the pants were rolled up. And he said, quote, both of his pant legs were rolled up above his knees, revealing apparent blood poisoning and gangrene. The motorcyclist quickly left to tell law enforcement what they'd found. When the investigators returned to the trailers, they found the body of 32-year-old Ted Weir covered in several bed sheets pulled up to his chin like somebody had like tucked him in. I mean, it was deliberate looking. Mm-hmm. He was barefoot and five of his toes were missing, likely from frostbite, and his feet were gangrenous. 
the medical examiner determined that it likely would have been way too painful for Ted to have moved at all so that somebody else would have had to tuck him in the way that he was found. There was a small table by the bed. On it were several of Ted's items, including a ring with his name engraved in it, his gold necklace, his wallet with cash still inside, and a gold Waltham watch with the crystal missing. When consulted, Ted's family identified all the items except for that watch. And in fact, nobody, any of the families, could identify this watch. Um, It was not found to belong to any of the men. Ted's leather shoes were also missing. Everything found inside the trailer literally answered nothing and made everybody just have more questions. There was one partially melted candle on the table, which appeared to be the only source of heat in the trailer. In addition to furniture that could have been broken down to use as kindling, there were many paperback books. There were also matches found. So it's not even like you have to figure out how to like use a rock got, to start a fire. Like Right. You've got all the kindling, but you just don't have anything to start a fire. Mm-hmm. They, it, they literally had everything there too. Mm-hmm. to make yeah. a fire happen. And yeah. not even just like the matches, the furniture that you could have used, the paperback books. There was a full can of propane or tank. Um, and if, if it had just been... What's the containment verb for the propane? I know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, see. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if it had been switched on, it would have provided the trailer with heat. It was in the shed outside. Um, the shed was partially blocked by snow, so it's possible that maybe the boys wouldn't have seen it, but it was there. There were plenty of extra blankets and clothing inside the trailer, as well as quite a bit of food. Another shed outside held a large reserve of sea rations, which were typically used in combat. They were in tin cans and had crackers, fruit, and stew. A total of 36 meals had been eaten. Beside the cabinet where the sea rations were was another cabinet with a significant amount of dehydrated meals. And many articles say that this would have not only provided one of the men with enough food for a year, but all of them for enough food for a year. It just doesn't, nothing, nothing about this makes sense. No. Some of the meals had been opened using an army can opener that only Jack and Gary would have known how to use. Ted's autopsy revealed that he'd actually died of pulmonary congestion due to exposure, which is wild because his body was just in such, I mean, he was missing toes, like the gangrene, the blood poisoning, like, yeah, I just feel so bad for these men. Like that had to have been such a painful and awful way. Slow and painful. Oh my gosh. It's awful. Um, So this is often referred to as wet lung and is caused by cold exposure. At the time that he disappeared, Ted was 5'11 and 200 pounds. When his body was discovered, he had lost close to 100 pounds. Oh my gosh. See, that really puts it in perspective because you can, I mean, just hearing that, hearing that he lost almost half of his body weight from being out there and he wasn't out there in the grand scheme of things for that long. He had been there for, what, 8 to 13 weeks, which which is a long time to be in um, survival mode mm-hmm. in, you know, yeah. um, 
an isolated place in the middle of the that's winter a time. ton of weight to drop in 13 weeks that, but that's what i'm saying yeah. yeah it's it's not that long considering how much weight he dropped and this very much so reminds me just side note of the into the wild story mm. the what was his name alexander super tramp i can't remember his his original name that's what he changed it to but when he was he got stuck in Alaska and then he I mean dropped to a fraction of his size he couldn't get out you know it was like a whole it's just yeah it makes me oh it's upset yeah it really is um and I mean he he's 5'11 and he's down to 100 pounds can you imagine he's skin and bones I mean that's it absolutely Hey, you guys, have you ever wondered about the backstory, like why we call our dad Miss KB? We have gotten this question so many times, we thought we'd release a little freebie for you. So we recorded a Patreon-exclusive Q&A last year, and be warned, we were outside and there was some wind, Mm -hmm. where we answered this question, and we want y'all to have the answer even if you're not a patron. Yeah, so be sure to head to killerqueens.link slash MissKB, M-I-S-S-K-B, and grab the audio. And don't forget, if you want the full Q&A or access to our entire catalog of over 450 patron-only episodes with all our regular episodes ad-free, you can join the Patreon for less than one and a half Starbucks drinks per month. I mean, that's a good deal. It's a steal. It is. It's a steal. You'll get four episodes per week from us, all ad-free, plus anything fun we do like Q&As or literally anything else. So definitely check it out. And not every tier includes every episode. Yeah, we do have different tiers. So just be sure everything's listed out there when you check it out. But in the meantime, be sure to grab your free audio about Miss KB and how he came to be called that at killerqueens.link slash Miss KB. The medical examiner also said that based on Ted's facial hair growth, that's kind of where they got this eight to 13 weeks because he had grown a pretty full beard, which he he never had a beard before. So he would have gone from clean shaven to this beard. So he had to have still been alive for that amount of time. Um, and they think that he may have died about two weeks before his body was found. That's a really tough number. If they had just reached him, exactly. I don't know yeah, what could have Yeah, what could have but... happened. Um, with the discovery of Ted's body, investigators spread out in the area around the trailer. Um, however, they found it incredibly difficult to imagine how the men had made it all the way to the trailer from their vehicle. So if you read articles, watch anything, like whatever you do, you're going to find conflicting information. Some of them are going to say it was 20 miles away from the car. Some of them are going to say 11.5 miles. So somewhere between 11 and 20 miles. Um, they would have had to walk that far. None of them even had coats on them. They like they were not dressed for winter weather for sure. And this was brutal winter weather. Like, mm-hmm. and they didn't even have coats on them, you know? They didn't have gloves, right. they didn't have any of that stuff. They didn't have waterproof boots, you know, like none of it. Well, they weren't prepared mm-hmm. at all for this, yeah. right? Also, like reading about this case, I was just like, because my mother-in-law has told me before, like, now that it's getting colder again and like reading this, it made me think of it. Um, she always keeps um, blankets. Yeah, blankets in her car. And I think matches maybe or something like um, 
just some way to like get a candle or something like some way to provide like some bit of heat or whatever, or like those little hot hands, like warmers and stuff like that. And she's like, you just never know, you know, if your car breaks down on the side of the road, especially like having kids in it or whatever, you can at least wrap them in a blanket and give them those little hot hands and keep them warm or whatever. But like, you know, cause you don't expect to. Yeah. Nobody who gets stuck in a situation like this ever planned on getting stuck in a situation like this. Exactly. Like nobody. Yeah. They'd found that a snowcat belonging to the Forest Service ran up the road to the trailer, which did leave a path in the snow. So it's possible that the men saw the path and followed it. And that's how they found this trailer. On Tuesday, June 6th, a volunteer who was using his tracking dogs to help with the search for the men got an alert from one of his dogs just off the main road. That's where he found the body of 30-year-old Jack Madruga near a stream. His body had been ravaged by wildlife, with his right arm having been bitten off. He had his watch in his left hand and his car keys in his pocket. Not long after, 29-year-old Bill Sterling's body was found just across the road from Jack's. Bill's wallet was on him, which held his social security card and a photo of Bill's sisters. I don't know why that just, like, stabs my heart even more. Like, mm-hmm. God. These men were so sweet. They're just so sweet. Um, his body, like Jack's, had been picked apart by wildlife. His skull was found 50 yards from the rest of his body. Both bodies were about four and a half miles away from the trailer towards Jack's vehicle. It's just like, just all over the place. And that's like, it's not like they walked four yards. They walked four and a half miles. Like they had to walk, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. The following day, June 7th, this is also just so sad. Jackie's father discovered his 24-year-old son's remains about two and a half miles from the trailer. He actually picked up his son's spine, which was inside of his clothing. And his skull was about 100 yards away from the rest of his remains. The three men found outside were identified by their dental records. Still missing, though, was 25-year-old Gary Mathias. So though Gary hadn't been found, there was evidence that he had been in the trailer. His tennis shoes were there while Ted's thick leather shoes were missing. Police believe that after Ted was no longer able to wear his own shoes due to his swollen frostbitten feet, Gary probably put Ted's shoes on to accommodate for the swelling of his own since Ted's shoes were bigger. The families of the boys were absolutely heartbroken, understandably so. But they were also confused. While the media was so focused on the boys being... They used words, but they they were focusing on their intellectual disabilities and delays. They they were also saying, like, well, they probably just got lost. But the families knew that that had not been the case. Wouldn't have been the case. Mm-hmm. Jack Madruga's mother said, quote, things aren't right. They want to say they got stuck, walked out like a bunch of idiots and froze to death. Why would they leave the car to go die? There's no sense in that theory. But we can't figure anything that works out right. There's no rhyme or reason to any of it. And Bill's sister said, quote, someone made them go up that road. Bill didn't like the snow. They knew that it was cold up there. Madruga wouldn't have driven his car up there because he likes it too much. And yeah. The families were, it, just, it just seems like something forced them up that mountain. Right. Yeah. But I mean, and then... Okay, if we go with that theory, which I agree with, what was it, though? I mean, and nobody knows. Mm -mm. What made them go up there? 
the families were so convinced that their boys had met with foul play that night, understandably so, and nothing made sense as to why they would have ended up where they ended up. There was no evidence of, or excuse, yes, there was no evidence of foul play in the cabin or on any of the remains found. A month or so after the boys went missing, a woman in Yuba City may, or by the name of Debbie Lynn Reese began receiving some strange phone calls. So during the first phone call, Debbie answered and a male voice said, I know where the missing five men are. And then he hung up. The next day, the same voice called back and said, I need help because I hurt those guys bad. Debbie asked who he hurt and the voice replied, don't play dumb with me and then hung up. <sighs> he called once more a few days later. And when Debbie answered, the same voice said, those five guys are all dead. Debbie repeated back to him, they're all dead. The voice responded with, they're all dead, then hung up. And that was the last call she got from this man. She had, And Debbie had absolutely no connection with the five missing boys. Yeah. I mean, and that's something you just don't know. I mean, how many times have we heard of people making prank calls to get involved with the case? They think it's funny. They think it's whatever. She had no connection to the case, so it's not like they were calling their families and saying something like that. Yeah. Um, and I'm certainly not calling Debbie Lynn Reese a liar, but I think we also have to take into account that she also could have interjected herself for whatever reason. Like, sure. I mean, I without proof, you have mm -hmm. to you have to play devil's advocate and think, well, maybe because yeah. it's it's a story that she told. Mm -hmm. She doesn't. You know, like, and we know, like, we know that when, so this is a month or so after they first went missing, we right. know they were still alive at this point. So when this person is calling and saying, yep, they're all dead, they're not all dead. Right. So it's not, obviously this story. person, yeah, true. doesn't have the actual information. Right. And I'm going to say this right now. Maybe I don't have a good sense of humor. I happen to think that I'm hilarious. Um, I've got it from at least one credible source that I am, in fact, hilarious. But maybe I just don't Yourself? have that good of a sense of... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we... Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not really important who thinks that. But um, how is it funny to make prank calls about these types of things? How is it funny to call people terrible, demeaning, and just mean names? How is it funny... To pick on someone, steal from them, whatever, when they are vulnerable in whatever type of yeah, way. Yeah. What, how, how is it funny taking? I don't understand these types of things that some people apparently seem to find mm -hmm. hilarious. Yeah. I just don't get it. I know. I'm like, I wonder what the actual percentage of human beings like that are sociopathic is. Because this is a complete lack of empathy. Well, I have heard like that. And who knows if this statistic is correct? I'm just saying that uh, from allegedly one in 10 people are sociopaths. I mean, with as many things like this that we hear, I see it. Not far off, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, you guys, let's talk about some theories. Um, with Gary still missing, the families of the other four boys grew suspicious that he may have had something to do with what happened. And you know, remember Gary had been taking medication for his schizophrenia. He, when he was not medicated, um, if he had gone off of his medication or before he started this medication regimen that was doing, working really well for him, he had had some, like we said, you know, before like violent outbursts. So he'd had some run-ins with law enforcement. He'd been arrested twice for assault and had issues with psychosis when he stopped taking his medication. 
Um, But again, despite these problems in his past, Gary's family said that he was doing well and he was working at his stepfather's business and taking his medication as prescribed. His doctor called him a success case. So, I mean, obviously, after they went missing, he would not have had his medication to continue on. Sure. But I I don't think there's any weight to Gary having anything to, to do with it. I just don't. Well, yeah, if we're going to go with that theory, from what I have heard from other people who have gone with that theory, that maybe it was Gary's idea to drag them all the way up this mountain and then murder everybody or something. I... I don't see it. No, these were men that were very close to each other. They protected each other. They cared about each other. Um, Jack was the one driving. I mean, there were, it would have been Gary against four other men. And if Gary knows them the way that I'm sure he did, being a big part of this group and knowing them for a quite a long time, he would have known probably, let's say that he had this thought in his mind, let's go there, that he was going to take them up there or make them go up there. But he probably knows that because of knowing them, they're not just going to go with this whim of, you know, like they're Mm -hmm. not just going Mm -hmm. to change the plan. No. That's not who they are. Right. And then we have to remember that Gary was so concerned about missing their basketball game the next day that he literally reminded his mom about 47 billion times to make sure he didn't oversleep. So he's just going to, on a whim, while he's on his medication regimen, just on a whim be like, let's drive up this damn mountain and maybe get stuck there and and possibly not make our game tomorrow. Like, it's just just not going to happen. Um. There was a rumor expressed to several family members of the five men that there had been a fight in the parking lot of the market that they had stopped in for snacks after the game. Supposedly, a group of guys had started teasing Jackie in the parking lot, and when Gary tried to intervene, it led to the other group of men following or chasing them in their vehicle, which resulted the boys in getting lost because they were trying to get away. Um, These claims have never been verified. Another theory is that a local man was behind their disappearances. Uh, This person reportedly had a bad history with Gary and had made threats against him. Um, He also had an extensive arrest record with drugs and violence. Uh, This person became a pastor later in life. I hope uh, this guy really found Jesus because the rumor says that this man often referred to as the town bully was dating Gary's sister. And when she broke up with him, the bully began harassing Gary's family. It's theorized that the boys ran into the town bully on their way home from the basketball game. And at that point, Gary was thrown into Lake Oroville after a fight. And the other four were then forced up the mountain and out of their vehicle. A witness who later was too frightened to come forward initially said that while at church, she heard this man confess to several murders. Uh, Though some people believe this is a very likely theory, it's also pretty widely accepted that Gary had made it to the trailer because, remember, his shoes were there. So if this person threw him into the lake, they take his shoes off first and give the shoes to the other people. This is very reminiscent of Titanic when Jack Dawson goes to save Rose after she slips. And the detective is like, you, this all happened in a span of a couple seconds, yet you had enough time to remove your shoes. Mm Mm-hmm. Out. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. Then got caught. 
Gary's sister, Tammy, later said that she went to the trailer where Ted was found and found several handwritten notes on scraps of paper that looked like Gary's journaling. She also said that these were compared to Gary's handwriting by a specialist and confirmed to be a match. There have also been several unconfirmed sightings of Gary after the boy's disappearance, but I mean, how many sightings do we... Marmory. Yeah. I mean, all of, like, every missing person, you know, you'll get calls and be like, I saw her in California. I saw her here. Like, people still see Tupac. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what did we learn? What did we learn from that episode of Full House when DJ is at, like, Disney with her family and she just misses Steve uh, and everywhere she walks, it's Steve, it's Steve, it's Steve, it's Steve. Like, if your brain wants to find somebody, if your brain wants to see it, your brain's going to fill in the gap. Like, look at you recalling a full house episode. I know. That one, for whatever reason, had just a major impact on me, obviously. Of course it did. And it was a two-parter, which is even better. Mm, that Maybe that's why. Yeah. Another theory is that Joseph Shones, the man who reported seeing several people buy Madruga's car on the night of the disappearance, may not be telling the truth. Shones had a history of drinking and driving. Um, there was also a lot of gossip around town. It, it was kind of widely known that, like, Shones is kind of full of shit. He, he was a teller of tall tales. He was sure embellishing he was. stories and like that kind of thing all the time. Um, he would a lot of times do this for attention. He would like embellish or add outlandish details to stories and people would just be like, sure, you know, like, yeah, I bet so. Um, one of Shone's old neighbors said that Shone's had made quite a few enemies. Some believe it's very possible that Shones would have pointed the young men in the wrong direction if he encountered them. That's awful. There were also some details in Shones' story that don't make sense. For one, he says, remember, he got back in his VW bug to get warm. But that kind of vehicle doesn't provide any heat, really. If If that vehicle is not moving, it didn't have a fan, this particular model or whatever. So if you weren't moving, you're not going to get any heat. And the only heat that came out of it was from the engine itself. And it was like down at the bottom. Somebody called it an ankle burner. Where like you. Well, yeah, because the, the engine is in the back rather than the front. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Yeah. 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 So like, it, and there's no fan. So if he's just sitting still, he's not going to get very much heat. Now, it maybe it's. It, Probably still would have been warmer than standing outside in the snow, but still, yeah, it's not like how you or I, if we keep our car on, it's going to produce that heat in a fan or anything. Right. Um, he also said that he was checking the snow line in preparation for a family trip to the cabin, but his former neighbor said, this is ridiculous. He and his wife did not get along. Um, it would have been outlandish that they would have gone on a cabin trip together. Um, there's also... Nobody has been, there's two people who've written books on this case and neither of them have been able to confirm that he owned a cabin. Maybe he was renting one, but they can't find any evidence of a cabin either. Right. Um, And why would you take your Volkswagen bug up into this terrain in preparation for a camping trip? Like, you know, you're going to get stuck. Right. I don't know. Um, The same neighbor referred to Shones as a, quote, this is a direct quote, wet brain alcoholic and pathological liar. Um, all right. 
What happened once the boys headed up the mountain seems pretty much understood. Jack very likely drove his vehicle up the mountain. The amount of care that was clearly used to drive up there was obvious and very much like something Jack would have done. He, remember, he wouldn't have let anybody else drive. As they headed up the mountain, Bill and Jack, then Jackie, ultimately succumbed to the elements. Um, And this is kind of like the general theory here. Ted and Gary continued onto the trailer where Gary attempted to care for Ted and his severe frostbite and gangrene. Gary was able to use the combat can opener to open the sea rations for him and Ted. Gary likely decided to go for help and switch to Ted's shoes since they were bigger and thicker. While Gary was gone, Ted was unable to open any more of the food. Um, I also read that Ted had this very, very, very strong moral compass where he may, he, he would have, I think his family thinks he would have felt like that was stealing if he was taking somebody else's food and he literally wouldn't have opened it It so that he wasn't stealing. Yeah. It's really sad. Um, this still doesn't answer the question of like why they didn't build a fire, why the shed hadn't been broken into and the gas turned on. Um, one Reddit. Well, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I'm so sorry. One one person that I watched um, on YouTube mentioned the fire in Ted's home previously. Because remember, his uh-huh. fire, or his fire, his house had caught on fire. Now, I don't know if if that, if mentioning that means maybe he was scared that it, that the trailer would have caught on fire. Or yeah. that's leaning to because it could have been it could have been that Mm -hmm. or if it means since he didn't he didn't do what somebody would you and I would have done which is evacuate since he didn't do that maybe his mind wasn't wasn't thinking oh let's make a fire to keep I don't know I don't know exactly what the mention of that is Mm -hmm. for for them but I was like well maybe he was scared Mm -hmm. that's true I mean maybe he was and also if he was so concerned about, you know, breaking the law or breaking a rule or stealing or whatever that he wouldn't eat the food. I think that lends to then he wouldn't have broken into the shed and, you know. And there's um, a Reddit poster who works with adults with disabilities and they said it probably would have been very difficult, if not impossible, for the young men, other than Matthias, to go against what they'd been taught. Like, we don't burn books. We don't burn furniture. You know, we don't break other people's things. We don't break into other people's things. Like, um, you know, so that's, I mean, that's a possibility. And un- unfortunately, we're just never going to know. And like, why did they go up there in the first place? Why? Right. Yeah. Because it's, I don't know. I feel like they got scared and they were trying to lose somebody that was following them. Because I'm going to do this really quickly because we're over. Um, but the gateway project, you know, that they all met each other in that organization that was helping, um, men with, uh, or people with intellectual disabilities and things like that. Um, they had been attacked in the years leading up to this. Like somebody threw a Molotov cocktail into the building. Somebody, when one of the people who worked there opened the door, set him on fire and killed him because they had such a hatred for helping people with intellectual disabilities. So again, like we said, it was a dangerous time for them. And 
I do think that maybe somebody, they felt like they were being followed or chased. Maybe something did happen in that parking Targeted. lot. Targeted, yes. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh. Yeah, and so they got scared and maybe when they got stuck, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why they would have gotten out of the car, but maybe they got out of the car because they didn't want whoever was following them to find them in the car. If The car is easy to spot. We'll Very go possible. hide somewhere. That is just... Yeah. And, um, you know, Gary Mathias has never been located. There have been no real developments made in this case. Um, again, there's no evidence to indicate foul play, but something is not right. Um, Gary is at this point presumed deceased, but it is still classified as a missing person. Now, do you see, do you see why cases like this make me so mad? It's not because I don't think that we should talk about them again. I have to put that on everything. Every time I say something like that, because it's not because I don't think that it's worth talking about. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't sit well in my soul. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to process for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's the case, you guys. Um, thanks for listening. If you're listening on a podcast app, thanks for watching. If you're on the YouTube, sure. um, and let us know what your theories are. There's a lot of theories out there. Um, you know, I'm sure we have not, certainly, we've not thought of all the possibilities. So, let us yeah. know. Yeah. Thank you guys. We love you. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye! The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 